0: This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat and will be delivered by Rav uh, Alex Israel. Shalom to everybody. I'm I'm not sure where everybody usually listens to this uh, podcast. Whether it's in the car on the way to work, or when you're uh, exercising in some way. But I imagine that several of you will be listening to this podcast while you're Pesach cleaning. I know that I, for one, I'm certainly in the throes of preparations for Pesach, and in particularly for Leil Hasheder. and uh, therefore what I've chosen to talk about this week is not the Prashat Shavuah, which has few points of contact with uh, Pesach, but rather we're going to engage in a study of the Haftarah and try and understand how the special Haftarah which is chosen for Shabbat Gadol is connected to Shabbat HaGadol and what it can tell us about Pesach. The haftarah this week is taken from the book of Malachi. Um, Malachi is the last Sefer in Nabiim, the late the last prophet, the end of prophecy. It's a very short book, only three chapters. Something of a the book forms a sort of running argument between the people at the time and the and the navi. It's like as if the people are almost having a difficult time with the messages of nevuah. But whichever way, as we turn to Perak Gimel, uh, that's where we pick up the Haftarah this week. And the question is, the Haftarah doesn't mention Pesach. And uh, obviously, we want to understand why this is chosen for this particular week, for the week preceding uh, Pesach, the Shabbat HaGadol, the great Shabbat. Um, so why do we have this Haftarah this week? Some people want to claim that in a sense it's even a, a mistake. What do I mean a mistake? And if you want to look more into this, look at the writings, the article of uh, Rav Elchanan Samet who summarizes the opinions I'll try and explain what the mistake could be, or the origin of the mistake. However, I, I don't think these mistakes happen by accident. Uh, let me try and explain. Um, in ancient Israel, um, the Torah was read in a three-year cycle. We follow the Minhag Bavel, the Minhag of uh, Babylonia, to read the Torah in one year. But in Eretz Israel, in, in the times of the um, Amoraim. They read the Torah in a three or three and a half year cycle, they read much slower, they had to read Targum, and they went through the Torah regularly from Bereshit, I guess the first year from Bereshit till the middle of Shemot, the second year from the middle of Shemot till the end of Vayikra, and the third year by and Devarim, eventually they finished. But what that means is they had uh, three times the number of Haftarot, which is quite fascinating. Uh, the suggestion is that uh, this haftarah, usually before Pesach, uh, we read Parsha um, Tzav, and uh, that's generally the reading. And the suggestion is that when it says here, and the parsha begins with the famous pasuk that's pasuk Daled in Parakimul, "Va'arvah was actually the haftarah. For the Korban Mincha, and since this became the Haftarah of Parshat Tzav, it was always read before Pesach. Uh, this is not a Haftarah that we have in our uh, annual cycle anymore, but it was in the ancient cycle, and therefore this became chosen as the Haftarah which was always read before uh, Pesach because uh, usually Tzav is before Pesach, and it stuck. And because it's stuck, that's it. I have to say that this is an unsatisfying reason, even if it is historically true. Um, since there are so many other options for the Haftarah, uh, I seem to think that uh, we, if it was an unsuitable Haftarah, uh, it would not have uh, remained in the in the Masorah, in the traditional way of reading. And therefore this again begs the question as to points of contact between the Haftarah and uh, and Pesach itself, and I think if you ask uh, anyone, they will point to the final pasuk, not the first pasuk, but the final pasuk, where it says, "If <laughs> yom I will send Eliyahu and Navi before the great and awesome or fearful day, the avot banim, banim al famous pasukim, he will restore the hearts of fathers sons and the sons." of Sons or children to their fathers, the to lest I strike the land in destruction. Again, what is what is the connection here? Nachama in one of her gilyonot, uh, suggests that the connection is actually in the point lev avot al banim, banim al avotam, that. Uh, when we're dealing with Seder there is nothing, no moment which is more connected to the notion of Banim and Avot, Avot and Banim. And of course we all remember the famous Psukim uh, which we mention in Parshat Doh where it talks about um, there Vayaki when your children say to you or children say to you, when your son will ask you in some future time, the notion of uh, children asking their parents, parents informing their children goes to the very essence of Seder night. And this uh, family notion isn't only something which appears in the commemoration, it of course appears in the actual um, dis- d- description of Yitzhak Mitzrayim where the notion of the home Sela avot, Sela we say in Perakyud bet Pasuk Gimel. The notion that the Paschal lamb was taken for each household. Uh, It was particularly a bayit, Sela avot, it was according to uh, patriarchal houses. And here, once again, the connection between uh, parents and children is intense. Um, Even when it comes to the lessons of the plagues, we read in Shemot Yud, That why did God strike Egypt so severely? So you will tell your children and your grandchildren how I um, tormented Egypt and the signs that I placed amongst them so that you will know that I am God. In other words, maybe the connection is In other words, maybe the connection is is the idea that parents and children get together and um, this parent-child relationship this parent-child encounter, the retelling of the story is of the essence of, of Pesach and that really forms the classic mitzvah of Sippor Mitraim which Bezrat Hashem we will all engage in in that wonderful wonderful story on, on, on Monday nights so that's uh, that's certainly a good connection but I think other people will point to the earlier phrase, which is that of Eliyahu Hanavi. Um, we're all familiar with our Seva table and having a Koshal Eliyahu, a cup of Elijah. We also, probably in most of our homes, open the door for Eliyahu Hanavi, um, wondering will he somehow come in. And here we see the idea of that Eliyahu is the herald of the Yom HaGadol Hanurah the great, and maybe here even is the source of the name of the Shabbat, Shabbat HaGadol, Yom HaShem HaGadol Hanurah. And I would like to maybe try, once we've mentioned the notion of Eliyahu, to raise a few questions in this regard, and see if we can explain some of them. First of all, why do we have Eliyahu's cup? What is it all about? And why do we open the door? And if we open the door, why at that point do we say the lines, pour out your wrath over the nations? Um, these seemingly, these sukim, you wonder, you know, what exactly is their place in the seder? What do, they, what do they teach us? Why are they there? What is it all about? And I'd like to give, some sort of uh, explanation for the place of Eliyahu and we are going to actually present Eliyahu in two in two modes in order to to explain what he's doing in the in the Seder Um, maybe let me already before I start discount one, one explanation and that is that some people would like to suggest that there's actually a technical reason why we have Eliyahu's cup in the Seder, a sort of, how should I say it, a technical reason. Um, there is a discussion about how, in the Gemara about how many cups we're meant to have at the Seder. Usually we say we're meant to have four cups of wine, and that is what the Mishnah in in Arava Pesachim tells us, that nobody should have fewer than four cups of wine. And it's in fact the Talmud Yerushalmi who says they represent the Arbala Shonot Gula, the four phrases of redemption, the tzeti, the Itzalti, the ga'alti, the Kachti. However, there's a statement in the Gemara which mentions, in, in, in the Pavli, which mentions, I think, in the name of Rabbi Tarfon, that you say, Halel uh, HaGadol on a fifth cup. And here there's a, a huge uh, question about what exactly is this fifth cup. And here we enter into Machloka Rishonim. Because Rashi says, uh, this is actually a mistake, that it should really, the Gemara, uh, somehow somehow, some mistake crept in, and it should really say that we finish Hallel on the fourth cup. And that's indeed what we do. The Rambam, however, says that uh, you don't have to, but you you don't have to use a fifth cup, but you can actually add to the four cups, you can actually add a fifth. And uh, he says, you can say, Hallel HaGadol the Huru Lashem Kitov, on a fifth cup. And he says, but it's not Chovah. Um, it's Chovah to have It's obligatory to have four cups, but a fifth cup is an option. Interestingly, by the way, um, the Rivad, um, great sort of nemesis or commentator on the Rambam, says that a fifth cup is is an obligation. Whichever way, there are those people who claim, that. how did the fifth cup get to... Uh, be called Eliyahu's cup. Because we don't know who to follow. Should we follow Rashi, who says not to do it? The Raivad, who says you should do it? The Raman, who says maybe do it? And whenever we have a Machlokas, we say, Teiku, which means what? Tishbi yitarez Kushiyotu That uh, we say, we don't know what to do. And therefore, let Eliyahu come and decide. So, who should drink the fifth cup? We don't know whether to drink it or not. Who will drink it? Eliyahu will come, and we will come back to this, and we'll come back to this uh, Mishnah, which talks about Eliyahu solving all the problems. I have to say that I don't really uh, like this explanation. I think it's a little too midrashic. Um, I think there are many, anybody who's familiar with the Gemara in Arba Pesachim, and familiar with the views of the Rishonim, will realize that almost in every single detail that we have within the Seder, Uh, There is a debate from uh, whether it's from Kiddush or or whether it's about leaning or whether it's about... uh, You you name it, there are arguments. And if we uh, relied on this, we will be uh, inviting Eliyahu into every nook and cranny of our religious uh, observance. Um, I don't believe that Eliyahu is invited in order to solve this particular problem of the fifth cup, whether we should drink it or not, because otherwise it would be hanging around, and there would be many other features of our Seder which would be named under the rubric of Eliyahu. No, no, no. I think that Eliyahu has a deeper connection to the notion of Ge'ula, and uh, it is Sefer Malachi, which suggests that Eliyahu is the herald of the Yom HaGadol V'hanora. The Yom HaGadol V'hanora, the great fearful and great day, is some sort of judgment day, some sort of uh, messianic day, some sort of day of redemption, and Eliyahu seems to be invited the herald that day. He is there to, to witness that day, and the question is, what is he doing there? What is his purpose? So let's try and think a little bit about, about Eliyahu. Eliyahu as we see him in the, in the books of Nevi'im, mainly he features at the end of Sefer Malachim, Aleph and the beginning of Malachim Bet. Eliyahu Navi is a tremendously powerful character, a man of fire. I think that's the best way I can describe him. Eliyahu brings fire down from heaven, not once, not twice, many times. Eliyahu ascends to heaven in a fiery chariot. In fact, Eliyahu later has a sort of legacy that he can travel between worlds, and that he can sort of uh, be, be still, how should I say, somewhat present in this world, even though he has uh, left the world. Did Eliyahu really die, asks the uh, Midrashim, and that is because he didn't suffer a usual death, he, he, he went up into, into the heavens, and one wonders, uh, is he still there, somehow suspended between heaven and earth, uh, not having fully left this world, um, and somehow being in some sort of suspended uh, state of non, non-death. Um, Eliyahu, even in his lifetime, had this reputation. And we find uh, both in Malachim um, Aleph, Perak yud and later on in Malachim Bet, Perak Bet, that people think that Eliyahu can simply fly or sort of catapult himself, uh, hyperspace himself from one place to the other. Even in his own lifetime, Eliyahu was seen as a man of extraordinary uh, powers who s- seemed to appear from nowhere and disappear to to a place that people couldn't couldn't understand where he was going he He had phenomenal charisma and power but 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 what did he stand for? I think the most famous uh, story about Eliyahu is the story at harha Carmel at Mount Carmel where eliyahu challenges the idolatrous prophets of Baal to a duel. And this of course is a hugely famous story. And uh, there we see his his call to the people. And he turns around to the people and he says to them I'm um, reading from Malachim Parakut Chet he says, How long are you going to be wavering, jumping? Here's the word, Pesach. How long will you jump? Between two opinions. That's the way it's usually translated. Between two, the siif can be um a doorway. How, how long will you be jumping between two places? Im Hashem Elokim if Hashem is the God, then follow Him. And if Baal is the true one, follow Him. And the people could not answer. Eliyahu is a man of truth, and he does not believe in fudging the boundaries of faith. Eliyahu says, if you believe in God, you can't worship the Baal. If you worship the Baal, then don't believe in God, but be true to your principles. Eliyahu is a man of truth, and he intends to prove that God is the true God. He challenges the Baal to a duel. He says, we can prove this empirically. Take an animal, and we'll take an animal. Let's see who can bring fire down from heaven. And of course, it is Eliyahu who brings fire down from heaven and has everybody screaming by the end of the day, shouting at the top of their lungs, Hashem alokim, Hashem wa'alokim, God is the true God. Now, to understand really the power of this event, this is a duel, this showdown, Eliyahu stages at Mount Carmel, we have to understand what led up to it. And that is the fact that Eliyahu had actually instigated, according to many of the Mepharshim, it was Eliyahu who instigated this. Other Mepharshim say that it was actually God who instigated. But this comes at the end of a three-year famine. A period of three years where there is no rain at all. And it's almost as if God is putting the people through a severe test in order to see whether the people really believe in God. And Eliyahu is of the opinion that one can use, how should I say it, use brute force, use famine, use fire, in order to prove, to prove that God exists. Eliyahu is passionate about God, and he's willing to watch the nation suffer through three years of famine and hunger. I imagine what went along with it was also um, When there is famine and hunger, there is also death. All of that to prove, to bring the people back to God, to prove that God exists, and to bring the people back, that they should remain faithful to God. Eliyahu then is is this man of, of, of truth, a man who will not waver, a man who never gives in. And to that degree, he represents absolute clarity. When God tells him um, and shows him the fire and says God is not in the fire and shows him the thunder, uh, sorry, the, the, the earthquake and says God is not in the earthquake and the tremendous winds and says God is not in the wind but God is in the small still voice. He's in a whisper. Eliyahu turns around to God and says I am a zealot. I am a man of zealotry. I don't speak in whispers. I shout. I talk in fire. I don't talk in whispers. That is Eliyahu. In this regard, um, how does Eliyahu match the Leel Haseder? Why is Eliyahu invited to the seder? I think it's, it's, it's very clear. Leel Haseder is, is Judgment Night. Le'al is the, HaSeder is the night in which everything is clear. You know, maybe things weren't clear for years and years in which God was eclipsed and judgment was eclipsed in Egypt when the Jews were suffering for, for all those uh, decades and centuries when they were enslaved in Egypt. But suddenly, at a certain point in history, on that night, at midnight, um, we became free. And God punished those people who were our oppressors and he freed the victims. This is a moment of truth. This is a moment of giloi This is a moment where God passes over Egypt and God makes himself known. This is an Eliyahu moment. This is equivalent to a moment of God coming down in fire from heaven and saying, V'yada'atem Hashem. Neman teida ki'en kamoni b'chol God is made evident in the most uh, absolute sense. This is a moment of of clarity, this is a moment of divine revelation, this is a moment which Eliyahu will revel in. And as one of my teachers once said, we are absolutely mistaken if if we think, we are absolutely mistaken if we think that when it comes to the Seder, we are inviting Eliyahu into our homes. Anybody who thinks that we are inviting Eliyahu into our homes make here, uh, is making is has got it the wrong way round. We open the door. We open the door. When do we open the door? We open the door after the eating of the afikoman. After we bench. After the eating of afikoman, we, when, when do we we have to finish the afikoman by midnight? In other words, once we have eaten the afikoman, it is chatzot. It is midnight. And then we bench, and then we open the door. Why are we opening the door? We're opening the door not to invite Eliyahu in. Where is Eliyahu? Or well, maybe I should ask a different question. What is midnight on Seder night? Midnight on Seder night is the moment in which we became free. Midnight on Seder night, on the night of uh, Tetvav Nisan, is the moment in which God destroyed the Egyptians. Midnight on Seder night is the moment of the redemption. And we have a rabbinic phrase which says, b'nisan nigalu, b'nisan that we are once in the past redeemed on the, on, on, in Nisan. We will again be redeemed on Nisan. We see history in a cyclic nature. And we say, if we are once redeemed on this night, maybe we will be redeemed again at this moment, at this time. And therefore at the midnight hour where God destroyed the Egyptians and freed the Israelites, we open the door and we say maybe, maybe God is redeeming us again. Maybe God, maybe Eliyahu is walking through the streets. We don't invite Eliyahu in. We open the door in order to go outside to look for Eliyahu. That maybe the redemption is happening once again and that we are going to be invited out by Eliyahu to step into the street and walk towards Yerushalayim to a renewed Beit HaMikdash that maybe we will be redeemed to a more perfect reality of our own. And that is a, a fascinating thought, that Eliyahu represents this moment of Giloj Shechina, Eliyahu um, represents this moment of truth, and that's what it's all about. By the way, I think this also explains the existence of Shafocha Um These lines which... Uh, pour out your wrath against the nations. Why why are we pouring out our wrath or pouring out God's wrath against the nations? What is this all about? And I have to, uh, you know, some people see this as a almost embarrassing moment, a moment in which, you know, certainly in a tolerant um, age, some sort of uh, arcane vestige of the past in which Jews were persecuted. I think most people who feel Embarrassed by Shefuch don't quite understand where it comes from. Shefuch or at least the opening lines, come from Tehillim Perak Ayintet, Tehillim Chapter 79. Look it up. And if you look there, you will see exactly what the chapter is about. The chapter describes the awful atrocities and describes the horrors of the destruction of the Temple. And I think... These uh, these lines describe a, a Jerusalem which is destroyed to the ground, where there are the corpses of the Kohanim are, are lying in the street because the enemies will let, let us bury them, and we feel the sense of of humiliation, humiliation of ourselves, humiliation of our city, of the devastation towards God's reputation, and we say Hayinu Cherpalish we are a disgrace to our enemies, and mockery all around. And we ask God, you know, how long are you going to be angry with us? And at this point we say, if you want to be angry with somebody, if you want to be angry with somebody, if you want to be angry with anyone, be angry with those people. Be angry with the nations who don't know you, the idolatrous nations. At least we know you. And they have, they have destroyed the temple. Once again, this relates to our sense of upset, that really instead of the dry piece of matzah that we're eating as the Afikoman, the Afikoman is, is is a dessert which is eaten in place of the Korban Pesach. We should be eating the succulent lamb of the, of the Korban Pesach. We should be celebrating in Yerushalayim Kodesh, along with all of the other Oleh Regalim with all the other pilgrims who have come, the throngs of the hundreds of thousands of Jews who have come to celebrate our national independence in Yerushalayim. That's how it should be. We should all be together, singing our Hallel together, in the, in the, within the walls of Jerusalem, eating our, our Korban Pesach. And instead, we're eating a dry piece of Afi a flat piece of Matzah, um, a Matzah which resembles in many ways Lechem Oni when it comes to the Afikoman. The poor man's bread because we're eating the wrong thing, and it's at that moment where we we, we well up with indignation and we say, Shvach this is again the midnight hour. This is the hour God, in which in the past you redeemed us. Look, look at our situation now, Baruch Hashem. I think in 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 our age five seven seven one, we can say we're a lot better off than many many other ages, and thank God we can sit here and have our seder here in Eret Yisrael and yet at the same time we feel the sense of what is missing, we realise and understand that there is something a huge chunk of Pesach, which is the Koran Pesach itself which is uh, which is absent and that sense of indignation says to us, ay 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 you know the temple has been destroyed you know, what what is going on here, there is a uh, there are people who destroyed it, there are people who are still preventing its, its its rebuilding. There are still people who don't recognize your dominion in the world, God. And you should pure out, pour out your fury. This is not a call for arms on our part. Nobody ever walked out of a seder um, and attacked anyone on this basis. It's a, purely a call to HaKadosh Baruch But again, I think it comes from this yearning for redemption, yearning for perfection yearning for Kadei um, Shehameinu So what have I tried to say? I've tried to say that how does Eliyahu come into all of this? Eliyahu represents truth. Eliyahu is the uncompromising person who represents bringing fire down from heaven. Who represents the will of God which overpowers everything. The brute force which brings justice into the world and that is exactly the atmosphere of Gulat Mitzrayim of the redemption from Egypt of the night in which the firstborn were killed and there is no more apt, no more suitable Tanakh figure to associate with this sort of uh, moment um, than Eliyahu and therefore when we say that Eliyahu is the herald of the Mashiach, Eliyahu is there before the Yom HaGadol HaNorah Eliyahu represents exactly that atmosphere of Yom HaGadol So that is one possible connection between uh, Eliyahu and uh, and Le'el HaSeder But I'd like to give yet a further connection and it's actually diametrically opposed to what I've just said And here I would like to quote from the Mishnah at the end of Masechet Eduyot And the Mishnah says the following He says Amr Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yoshua said, M'kubal ani. He says, I, is accepted. I have a tradition from Rabbi and Zakai From Rabbi and Menzakai. Shama Mirabo. Barabo Mirabo. Halakha Lamo Sheh I have a tradition which goes back to Moses. Interesting tradition that Moses might have known about Eliyahu. But what he means is I have an ancient tradition. She'ein Eliyahu ba'le letamei o letaheir l'racheik o Eliyahu does not come in order to say who is pure and who is impure. Who should be a Jew and who should not be a Jew. He's not here to select who is who. What's he talking about? Well, he's relating to that verse again. One of the problems in Malachi's time was the tremendous intermarriage that was going on in the nation at the time. There was big questions about who, who was Bichlal Jewish, whether these people um, who had intermarried should be accepted into the fold, and the way that the Mishnah understands this, he will restore the hearts of fathers to their sons, and the sons to their fathers really means the question of examining everybody's lineage, examining who really is a Jew, check out everybody's parents, everybody's mother, everybody's father, and see whether you're whether you're Jewish. And that was the way some people read this verse, that Eliyahu, before the redemption, will come and check out who's a Jew and who is not a Jew. And will get rid of all the people who are not fully Jewish. So, Rabbi Yoshua says, no, I have a tradition from Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, who has an ancient, ancient tradition that Eliyahu is not going to come to Discover who is pure and impure to distance people or to bring them near. He says, that's not what it's about. And he says, that's not what Eliyahu com- comes for. Uh, there's a f- discussion there, but I'm going to skip to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, where Rabbi Shimon says, what is Eliyahu coming to do? Eliyahu comes in order to solve all the arguments. In other words, Eliyahu is here to create a sense of peace. And the Chachamim say, the rabbis say, the majority opinion is, He's not coming to distance anyone who is seen as a Jew, not to bring anybody near who has lost their Jewish identity. La Asot shalom ba'olam. Eliyahu is there to bring peace in the world. Shne Mr, as it says, Hinei Anochi Sholech Lachem Et Eliyahu Navi. Ifnei Boyom Hashem Agadol Manorav VeHishib Leiv Avotel Abanim BeAbanim Labotam. Eliyahu has become the man of peace. And here, if we take Masechet Duyot as our as our cue, as our line, what is fascinating? What is really fascinating? Is the way that the Mishnah reads the personality of Eliyahu in the in the in the book of Malachi as totally different from in the book of Malachim? In the book of Malachim, Eliyahu, by his own self-definition, is a zealot. Eliyahu is a man who is ill at ease with society. He has his own truths, and anybody who doesn't live up to them is rejected. That's the view from the book of Kings, from Sefer Malachim. However, yet in the book of Malachi. Um, we see a very, very different picture. Earlier on in Sefer Malachi, we have an image of the uh, Kohen, where it says, Ki Kohen Yishmurudat, the Torah Yevakshu Pihu Mipihu, Sorry, we'll do the, Torah Emet HaItaba you. The truth of Torah is in his mouth, Ve'av lo nimsa beswatav, Ve'Shalom halachiti, The role of the Kohen is, Shalom and Mishor, Shalom, Peace, U Mishor v'Rabbim Avon and to keep people away from sin. Um, keeping people away from sin is the role of the Kohen. Likewise, says the Mishnah, in Sefer Malachi, the role of Eliyahu is one of achieving peace. And what is this uh, peace to do? This peace, or this achdut is there in order to herald the way to Mashiach. Um, it is a fascinating view that Eliyahu here is seen as restoring the peace of Bene Israel, of if you want bringing everybody back, La to restore all the arguments, to educate, to create unity, unity in the people being the essential, uh, critical factor in order for us to to meet the 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 Mashiach, to meet the the redemption, and. Um, here, I think we have two very, very different understandings of what redemption means. Is redemption a a moment of fire, a scary moment? And that is the the first uh, understanding that it is a moment of God's revelation, which uh, is so overwhelming that it eats up anybody who is who is not. Not perfect. By the way, this is the dominant feature of the Haftarah. We read in the Haftarah um, that when the Malach Brit comes, when the Angel of the Covenant comes, it says When God comes for Judgment Day, he will be like a purging fire and like chemicals which cleanse and he will go and he will purge, like purging silver, and he will get rid of all the sinners, and he will be a witness against all the people who are all those who swear falsely, all the adulterers, all of the people who are engaged in black magic and all the people who are not observing workers' rights of their employees, and the people who are abusing the poor. That is the first image of uh, of redemption. That redemption is about God right, righting the wrongs of history, but this happens through a fiery process, a purging process. However, the closing image of the Haftarah, certainly if you read it according to Masechet Eduyot is that actually the role of Eliyahu Hanavi is not to be the purging fire. Here Eliyahu is not it is God who is full of fire, but Eliyahu does something different. Eliyahu is there in order to to get us ready for Gullah, in order to make the Jewish people into a situation where they will be worthy of of the redemption. Because the redemption can be fearful we have to prepare for the redemption. And the best, prepar- the best preparation for redemption is one of Jewish unity. Maybe the rabbis understood that when they gave us a particular mitzvah to do in advance of, of uh, Pesach. And that is the mitzvah of Maot Chitim the idea of giving uh, money to the poor to make sure that before Pesach um, everybody was taken care of, that nobody would be at a sa- would, would not have the means of affording uh, matzah. They used to give out in ancient times, they actually, actually used to give out chitim, they used to give out the wheat and people would, um, I assume, grind it and mill it themselves. Um, but nowadays we give money in order to provide people with their supermarket bills um, to help people through the chag. And this is something which has the amazing ability of creating unity. Similarly, the rabbis um talk, talk in, uh, when they describe the, the Seder and this they do in second. Arvei Psachim we the Mishnah opens Pesachim Psachim Samuhl Lo Khaladama Shit Shach on Erev Pesach you're not to eat till it gets dark, but then it says Afilu Anisha Bisra Loyo Khalat It talks about the poor and uh, maybe we can if we want to take the less scary version of Eliyahu and if we want to feel that along with Eliyahu and Avi um, if, if we want to feel that along with Eliyahu Navi we are getting ready for redemption um, we don't quite know how to do that, we don't have the opportunity in our age to go out and buy a Korban Pesach, but one thing we do have the opportunity to do and that is to work on Jewish unity to provide Alma Kitim to provide uh, food for the people around us to celebrate and to make sure that there is no one in our community who is lonely and doesn't have a place to be at a there. So if we want to follow the words of Malachi and uh, in order to enhance Jewish unity to resolve and to iron over all the um, arguments around us and to uh, create a sense of getting ready through Achdut uh, for Pesach, then we know exactly what to do. I wish everybody a Chag Kasher B'Sameach, and we will be back after after, uh, Pesach. Have a wonderful Chag.